Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, from Denver, I'm joined by the governor of Colorado, Jared Polis, with an update on everything from climate change to new and much-needed rail service, as well as the Denver airport, now one of the busiest in the U.S. Speaking of airports and air travel, there's a strong case now, perhaps, to be made for re-regulating the airlines. Bill McGee on the growing threat of oligopoly and what could or should be done. Then, Colorado-based aviation consultant Mike Boyd on what's really going on at the Federal Aviation Administration in the wake of the continuing investigation of Boeing, and most importantly, perhaps, what it means to you. First up, Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now... New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E 
Byte.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The governor of Colorado, Jared Polis. Governor, thank you. Peter, welcome back to Colorado. I know of all the destinations you visit, your favorite. (laughs) Sucking up will get you everywhere. (laughs) Uh, But it's great to see you again, especially at this time of the year, because, hey, it's ski season. Everybody's on the slopes. Uh, And I want to talk about that, too, because if I take a look at the ski industry, uh, not just in Colorado, but in in the whole West, uh, you know, we're dealing with climate change, global warming. Uh, Are you getting good snow? So we have amazing powder right now. We had uh, actually travelers were somewhat inconvenienced over Martin Luther King uh, weekend because we had a record snows and we had Did they close off i-70 of course for a period of time which, they always close but you know what I- there's worse places to be trapped than oh we, oh no we have to stay in Vail or aspen for another day <laughs> god forbid uh it does happen but no we have amazing powder now the weather's going to be gorgeous um next week or so and uh it's it's going to be incredible and you know for those who um uh, who visit, obviously, our mountain resort destinations are great uh, for skiing in winter. But even if you don't ski, they're a lot of fun, just with the culture and stores. And I ride a on. mean lift. You ride a mean lift. And you know what? Many of them have gondolas. You can ride up, have lunch on the mountain, come right back down. Uh, for those who haven't skied in many, many years, the economic model's a little different. Basically, you get a pass. Uh, it's usually about five or $600 if, you, if you're if you not going to go during the high periods. Or the Is that like the Epic Pass? Yeah, Epic yeah. and Icon. There's yeah. two. Yeah. Uh, they both are about half the mountains, and yeah. not just in Colorado, but they're international. Uh, as you know, Vail Resorts owns properties in Australia and Japan, and uh, it's the same pass. And uh, if you're not skiing during the high periods, it's only about 500 bucks for the whole year. Um, and if you, ski, if you want to ski whenever, it's usually eight, 900 bucks. But that's very different than how it was, you know, when I was a kid, where basically you bought every day a lift ticket, you know, and the people just don't do that anymore. It's probably 200 bucks a day, but why would you do that? If you ski three days, you buy a season's pass. So um, it's, a, it's a good economic deal. Uh, and have, have you gone skiing yet? Of course. We were up in Vail and Beaver Creek, uh, and I was in Winter Park a couple of days ago. We actually actually took well, one of the cool travel experiences. We have a ski train from Denver to Winter Park. It's only two hours, and it's it's it was wonderful because I took it up, and while the, while the passes were closed and cars couldn't get in or out, you can still take the ski train in or out, and it's a great Amtrak experience. It's a double-decker. Amtrak, $59 from Denver Union Station to Winter Park, Well, now you've opened the door because I'm a big train buff. Oh, cool. We're looking to expand this. This is a big priority of ours here. Yeah. You know, if you go to Union Station here in Denver, once a day the Zephyr shows up, I think. That's right. Uh, But that's it. So we are really, we're doubling down on this. So um, in the short term, that means, you know, over the next couple of years, two, three years, uh, we are looking to expand that mountain rail. I mentioned that ski train. So it'll also go Denver to Steamboat. Using the same track. Same track. It's existing track. Nobody's, you know, it's, it's very cost prohibitive to build new tracks. So this is track that has freight trains today. We're looking at repurposing it. There's some improvements we need to make. So you'll be able to go Denver to Winter Park. And we want to keep that right now. That's only only during ski season. We want to do that year round. Because these are, as you know, the mountain areas are gorgeous all year long, right? You go there in fall. You see the colors. You go there in summer. You can go. Well, you have the hiking, Rocky Mountaineer hiking. doing stuff all the way from here to Moab. That's right. And, and trains are great because... Uh, you know, you don't want to have, to, it, it, first of all, it saves people time and money. You don't have to deal with the traffic, right? If you want to go and, but also, you know, for many of the activities, you just don't need a car. I mean, especially if you're going to have a mountain bike, if you're going on the mountain. Um, so it just gets in the way with the, the need to park it. So for many people, um, passenger rail is a great way to get there. We already have the ski trains for winter park and we're going to be expanding that to steamboat Springs as well as up and down the front range. And you know about our wonderful front range cities from Pueblo, uh, you know, to Colorado Springs, which has the, uh, the, 
Olympic Museum. Same existing tracks. Uh, same existing tracks that exist today. We're going to be, over the next few years, developing uh, regular passenger rail over those tracks. So now let's talk about other tracks, because... We've talked about this for how many years oh, and, now? And one more, one yeah. more thing on this, by the yeah. way. People who haven't been to Denver International Airport recently might not know that we have tracks coming in right to Denver Airport. Oh, that's use, a good you idea. You can go right to downtown Denver. That's already in place. So if you get into the Denver Airport and you, and it'll all be connected. So within, when we're talking about Steamboat Springs, you'll be able to literally get there from Denver Airport to Denver with and one then change right of train. Exactly. Yeah, one change. But the other track story I want to talk to you about, and and every governor wants to talk about it, and yet it hasn't happened yet for other reasons I'm supposing, that's high-speed rail, right? They're talking about north-south in California. They're talking about uh, Los Angeles to Las Vegas, but we've not seen it. Yeah, so that's, that's you're talking many more zeros when you're talking that, yeah. right? So what we are talking about here is more practical. We're saying we're going to use existing rail. It's still, it's still, you know, it's hundreds of millions, but what it, it can beat the time of driving. So, you know, if you're talking Denver to, let's say, Fort Collins, it's about an hour drive. The rail should be about 45 minutes. So, you know, this will be an 80 mile an hour rail. Um, you know, obviously, you don't have to deal with traffic. traffic Assuming the freight trains, that's not, that's not the freight trains pull over and let you go. Well, no, it'll be all scheduled with the freight company. So oh, they'll do it. oh, absolutely. That's that's the that's actually a lot of the negotiations. Because that's that always occur. been Amtrak's problem. So I'll give you one of the examples. One of the reasons that the uh, Denver to Steamboat and Winter Park is is, is and, and Hayden and Craig are such good routes is we are no longer running nearly as many coal trains on that route to the coal power plant there. And in fact, that coal power plant is closing in twenty twenty nine. So think of all the capacity that that creates on the existing rail for where they have to used to run coal cars. They used to run four or five a day. Now there may be two a day. There's going to be zero a day in 29. That all is makes the increase of the availability for passenger rail on those same routes. So you can schedule around them. Absolutely. You can do that. And and uh, and, and we're also, of course, uh, making a lot of improvements in our roads. So, I mean, I think the key thing is people should know that a lot of these destinations in Colorado are really great year-round. I mean, if skiing's your thing, the winter's great, but we have fall, spring, and, of course, amazing Are you telling summer. me you have four seasons? We have at least four. <laughs> at least four. In fact, you know, the, you know what the saying is in Colorado? If you don't like the weather, you wait 15 minutes. I mean, literally, we'll have, you know, it could be 70 degrees, and then half an hour later it could be snowing right so that's that's the colorado experience when we talk about travel and tourism which is so much a big part of your economy there's also the issue of how do you get staff right um not a colorado problem a country problem have you made inroads in that because from the private sector that's their biggest problem you see hotels right now operating at 70 percent occupancy not because they can't do 100 they, but they don't have the staff to support 100. We are doing a lot of workforce housing initiatives, and particularly in our major tourism destinations. And yes, like other places in the country, you know, we have restaurants that might be open four or five days a week instead of seven like they might like to be because of staffing issues. We're working our way through those. Housing is the key. Housing is the key. So I was just at a workforce housing project in um, uh, in Grand County, uh, where they're building over a hundred homes. Uh, these are for, you know, people who work. I was in a dorm style one that I visited as well in Winter Park, and these are for the seasonal workers. So it's kind of all of the above. So, but th you have to provide a lot of housing now. The, the, yeah, the market rate housing is out of reach for people who work in the resort communities. And so there's so often how, not, do they, how do you solve that? And we're doing it. I mean, we're building housing. So in conjunction with the cities and towns, uh, and the state is helping in this too, we're building workforce housing. So this is a form of housing that um, has a lower rent where people who work in the community can live, whether it's for a seasonal workforce, more dorm style, they're in there three months, or whether it's somebody who might be lived there for years and even have a family themselves. Now, having said all that, and looking at, the numbers from 2022 and 2023, those are all great numbers in travel and tourism, 
right? Airfares have never been higher. Hotel rates have been at historic highs. Is that sustainable? Well, look, we, we, not, we don't want airfares to be high. In fact, right. Colorado is actually a good value to visit. If you look at Denver International Airport, we have a lot of comp- healthy competition there. So uh, Frontier and United are, of course, the big two. But right. uh, all the major carriers go in there southwest. Um, so... Uh, it's good value to get to. That's one of the things we tout for, you know, convention business and tourism. Uh, but yeah, things are great in, in, in Colorado. I think like a lot of places, uh, especially our mountain areas have done incredibly well. Um, Colorado Springs has done well. Like a lot of cities, you know, the convention business just hasn't returned the way it, it was before yeah. the pandemic. And I don't know if it will. It's it's sort of increasing, but it's not what it was in 2017, 2018. And for Denver, that was a big part of the mix. But there's so many other reasons to visit Denver that I think we're able to get past that. When you take a look at your airport, right? Beautiful, yeah. You know, people forget that Denver is basically the newest airport we got in the United States. And how old is it? And we just sunk another, uh, we put another uh, billion into it. Um, incredible improvements. That you've, if you've been there recently, almost done. Not completely done yet, by the way. Still a little bit of construction going on, but some great improvements occurring. Because I remember Wellington Webb, when they were first building that airport, I was there with him, I don't want to tell you how many years ago, and DIA in those, in those days stood for doesn't include airplanes, the runways were sinking. The baggage machines were eating the bags. You've got your act together now. Uh, it's an amazing airport. It's consistently rated one of the top uh, North American airports. It's also become one of the busiest because of that. And as I said, hub to major airlines. Uh, international travel is increased. We've been focused on gaining additional international routes from uh, from Denver. And, and uh, I want to talk to you about that story. when we come back. We're talking to Governor Jared Polis here in Colorado. Uh, that's how I'm noticing that at the airport as well. You're getting a lot of nonstop business now from overseas, which you never used to get before. We are, and 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 you know the and that and for for the tourism industry, that's a that's kind of a, a high dollar value tourism. When you get people, uh, whether they're from Asia or, or Europe or South America, it's generally folks that are going to be larger spenders than uh, folks who might be driving or, or or domestic travelers. Governor, you know it's one thing to say the airport's the busiest airport, at least relative to where it used to be. Um, I happen to like the airport. Um, I actually get to where I need to go. Uh, the airlines, especially United, building all these new lounges, which people can actually get into, as opposed to the, the other problems at other airports around the country. I guess the question becomes a bigger question about what happens when the system breaks down, not just in Denver, Miami, New York, everywhere else. We still don't have a passenger bill of rights. Well, uh, you know, and that's federal, obviously. And I used I to know. be in Congress, and I <clears throat> used to be uh, involved with these issues. I that's, would, that's why I'm asking. There you go. No, I, I would add one key thing is the redundancy that our market offers. Uh, for instance, Colorado Springs Airport has also been growing very fast, Southwest being the major operator there. But and by the way, may I remind everybody that Southwest Airlines 20 years ago said they would never fly to Colorado, ever, because when they once came here they, that Colorado is responsible for 25% of the airline's delays. Well, they're here now. Yeah, and a lot of that is the technology that's yeah. frankly improved um, uh, with regard to, we have, uh, I mean, you know, you look at the inherent weather conditions and you look at airports that have been hubs like San Francisco and the conditions they have there almost every day with fog. I mean, so Denver, uh, we're known for our clear skies in Colorado. So regardless of the temperature, I think we have 300 days of sunshine. Uh, like anywhere, obviously, when there's, you know, heavy precipitation um there can be de-icing and delays that need to occur but we we have a pretty good ratio there i think that's one of the reasons united's continually expanding in our hub i mean when you compare it to their other hubs like chicago uh we perform better on on time well speaking of united in colorado the rumors are rampant that united may be moving their headquarters from chicago to denver 
Well, they are expanding their footprint here. One thing that, that I didn't realize until recently is all pilots across the entire United system come to the Denver area for their ongoing training. They so, have the simulators here. Exactly. So pretty much if you're a pilot, you, you have to, you know, you have to keep your credential updated. So I, mean, I don't know whether it's five days a year, whatever it is, three days a year. You basically, every pilot in the United System, no matter it's where they are. recurrent training. They, recurrent, go. they, they come to Denver. And and, uh, and United has invested and expanded that facility. Uh, they are expanding their footprint here. Uh, I think they, uh, along with many other operators, love our market, obviously. Um, but also, uh, they love the business climate here and are looking to expand here. So basically what you're telling me is there's somebody knocking on the door looking for some tax incentives? Well, you know, we, we welcome everybody here. And, <laughs> That's you know, a nice said, answer. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, obviously the, the, we're thrilled that they're expanding their jobs here, right? Whether it's yeah. the corporate suite or not. Um, that's a smaller number of jobs, but they are expanding hundreds of jobs here uh, in Colorado, and we're very excited about that. And, of course, you mentioned the other two airlines, Frontier and, and, and Southwest. And Frontier's headquartered in Colorado as well. Right? I know, and yeah. they have their simulators here as well. That's right. Smaller uh, scale, a little smaller scale than you Little United, baby but, yeah. smaller scale. But right now, I mean, even Frontier is expanding. They are, and, um, and and there's a lot going on in that discount carrier space, as you know, with uh, Spirit and, and 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 a lot happening. Um, Frontier is is and, and and the discount carriers. Um, you have to know what you're getting. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but it's great value, right? Especially have you, you flown them? Of course, I've flown them. Absolutely. I well, you know, I used to commute to Washington every week for Congress uh, before I was governor, so I would fly whichever whoever the most convenient flight, which was roughly uh, you know United half the time, Frontier a quarter of the time, Southwest a quarter of the time. Um, all out of all out of Reagan. Uh, uh, when I could, right? Yeah. But if I only could get, if I, the flight schedule only allowed yeah. me to get out of Dulles or Baltimore, I would. So I, you know, you gotta, you gotta get out. Well, when you speaking get of out. Congress and airports, I remember when Larry Pressler was the senator from South Dakota, and all, and he was on the the Senate Aviation Committee. All of a sudden, within 24 hours, every U.S. airline was flying to South Dakota, and nobody was going to South Dakota. And then he lost his chairmanship 24 hours later. Nobody was flying to South Dakota. There you go. You know, and, and I'm a good, uh, like probably you, I would guess, uh, as a frequent traveler, I'm a carry-on only guy. I assume you are, Peter. Is well, there are you? only two kinds of airline bags, carry-on and lost. You know that. There you go. So uh, for, for us, uh, Frontier is a better value proposition. As you know, they, they charge for baggage. I'm, and United might even at this point. I don't know because I'm, uh, you know, premier with them and I don't check. I haven't even checked. But I, I, we always carry on. And, um, and, and uh, we're thrilled to have the competition and service in our market. And even for Denver Metro residents, the Colorado Springs Airport's only about an hour, hour 10, hour 20 minutes away. So when you're looking at fares, you can absolutely consider that as well. And do you shop for the fares? Well, I, I, I don't travel as much now that I'm governor. <laughs> I, it's, it's a little bit harder. I get, you know, maybe a couple times a year I get out of state. Um, but I do uh, enjoy that. And it's usually for work, obviously. I'll be going to Washington for the National Governors Association uh, in February. Um, one other thing I wanted, a couple of things I wanted to tell in Colorado. We also, uh, as I was just recently chair of the Western Governors Association. I worked on geothermal energy. But one of the reasons we have such opportunity in geothermal is we have hundreds of hot springs across Colorado, which are really fun to visit. So we have everything from commercialized hot springs like um, Indian Peaks and many others. But we also have ones that you can hike to that are uncommercialized and natural and are, you know, 95 degrees. So you can sort of Google that hot springs in Colorado. If that's your cup of tea, you know, that's great in winter, great in summer. It's just a, a fun, a fun way to explore the state. You sound like a governor who gets out of the office. We try. As I said, I, I uh, hope to get skiing again in the next couple of weeks, but uh, it's a, it's a 
job that is uh, all consuming at times. So it's a little bit harder to get out than I might like, but I do travel the state professionally as well. So if I'm doing meetings and signing bills in a certain part of the state, I, I try to incorporate um, some kind of experience into that as well. And just to recap, when do I get a chance to jump on that train? Uh, well, the winter, the, 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 uh, the ski train is running now. Winter Park every morning leaves at, uh, I believe, seven in the morning from Union Station for the next month or two. We're going to build it to year round and expand it to Steamboat. I would say in the next three years is roughly the time frame we're looking at expanding that service. But it is available during the high ski season today to Winter Park. My thanks to Governor Polis. Think back to 1978 and what seemed like a good idea deregulating the airlines and allowing for free and open competition on routes and fares in the U.S. So what has happened since? Airline consolidation, less competition, and whatever happened to a passenger bill of rights? Bill McGee, the senior fellow for aviation for the American Economic Liberties Project, has an update, not to mention a few suggestions. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution. Personalized M&Ms. Just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors, name, and even their photo printed right on some M&Ms. It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. Mr. Bill McGee, welcome back, Bill. Hey, David. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So let's talk about this. I mean, you know, since deregulation passed as an act of Congress in 1978, the only people who can get involved in controlling airlines is the federal government through possibly the U.S. Department of Transportation, but no state government, no state attorney general, no individual can have any say. It's sort of called the federal preemption. If it's not done on the federal level, it doesn't get done. And we see where we are right now, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. That federal preemption clause, that was a real kicker. That They added that at the last moment in 1978 when they were signing off on deregulation. And as you said, uh, the states have virtually uh, no authority. When I, when I speak on this, uh, people are shocked to realize that this is an average American citizen. You have fewer rights interacting with an airline than you do with virtually any other company or industry you can think of. You can't just go and file a class action suit in state court like you could against any other travel company or virtually any other company. That's just one of the problems that we've seen in the last 45 years. And of course, what we've seen in the last, let's say, two years is the reintroduction of the word oligopoly when it, when it comes to talking about the, you know, the big airlines here in the United States. Uh, you know, are, they, are they too big to fail? Are they too big to control? And whatever happened to passenger rights? No, you're absolutely right. You know, it's funny you bring that up because, as we know, uh, recently a federal court in Boston struck down the... Uh, the proposed merger between JetBlue and Spirit. And I was really shocked. The, the judge, Judge William Young, who was appointed by President Ronald Reagan in the 1980s, 
he used that term oligopoly. He used it. He he referred to the uh, the big four, which control, as you know, with their regional partners, about eighty percent of the market. He referred to them as an oligopoly. And look, Peter, let's let's be clear. This is not what we were promised way back in nineteen seventy eight. Um, I, I one of the things I wanted to do about a year ago when we set out on this this project. I, I wanted to read source documents. I didn't want to read what others had to say or what others had to think. And of course, the first place I started was with the legislation itself. And I, I actually emptied out the first page and I kept it on my desk for the last year. And basically, what President Carter signed off on in 1978 was the promise that there would be more competition, more carriers, more less industry concentration, okay, and that more air carriers would not unreasonably increase prices, reduce service, or exclude competition. Well, let's start the conversation there. That, to me, is a litany of broken promises because everything that was promised in 1978 has not come to bear. And, of course, now you have, um, and this is not new, uh, you have Fortress Hubs. You know, you have Dallas for American, you have, you know, Atlanta for Delta, you have Chicago and maybe Denver for United, uh, and and they really control those hubs. If you live in those cities, those airlines can reasonably expect, in fact, they're, they're banking on, that you're probably going to fly them. Right, exactly. And that's what we set out to look at, you know. Um, you're right, we're using, we're using a dirty word for a lot of people in history, right? The R word, regulation. Uh Really, there, it was not even a topic, as you well know, that was even up for discussion for much of the last 45 years. Uh, I, I want to be clear, uh, I co-wrote this uh, white paper, How to Fix Flying, A New Approach to Regulating the Airline Industry, with uh, Ganesh Sitaran from uh, Vanderbilt University in Tennessee. And, and we set out two different perspectives. You know, uh, as you know my history, and I worked in the industry as an operations manager, became a journalist and an advocate. He's a professor, and he, he analyzes industries, and he analyzes regulation. And um, we both sort of came to the same conclusions. And what we're really hoping to do, I know it's a, it's a big mountain to climb. We get that. But what we're hoping to do is launch a national conversation. Because when you look at it, there really hasn't been a national dialogue about, we all agree it's a vital industry, it's a critical industry. But I would also argue it's a broken industry. And we haven't really talked about that as a nation for 50 years. You know as well as I do. What do we do? We play whack-a-mole, right? Uh, you know, uh, this time last year we were talking about Southwest meltdown or the, the NOTAM meltdown. You know, two years ago we were talking about canceled flights. The year before that we were talking about the, uh, the lack of payment of refunds. There's so many things in this report, Bill, whether it's concentration yeah. at the hubs, whether it's anti-competitive moves, whether it's what we call EAS, essential airline services, essential air services. We've seen air services in, in communities in America disappear over the last year. Places like Toledo, Ohio, America and United and Delta, they all pulled out. If you live in Toledo, Ohio now, you have to drive to Detroit to fly anywhere. That also applies to anybody wanting to get to Toledo, Ohio. And that's just one example. Does your does your report cover this as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. And 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 you nailed it, Peter. I mean, we're we're using the term regional inequality. Both Ganesh and I wanted to tackle this. What we've seen really over the last 25 years, among all the changes and all the, the problems that have arisen, 
is, in my view, we sort of have two airline industries in the United States. We have one in which if there's competition from low-cost carriers and ultra-loss carriers, then you may, you know, you may benefit to a certain extent. But we have seen in markets where, just let's take the big three, American, Delta, and United, where they don't compete with anybody but each other. To me, it's one of the big untold stories of the last 20 20 years. You and I remember airfare sales. Remember when they bashed each other's brains out? They stopped doing that about two decades ago, right? If it's only them competing with each other, then you're paying the highest fares in the country. And so that term regional inequality, it takes a lot of forms. I mean, you just mentioned a critical one. Cities that have lost air service altogether. That was never supposed to happen with deregulation. Then you have, you know, the cities that don't have, or, or communities, uh, particularly rural and uh, and uh, smaller communities, you know, that don't have ultra low cost carriers or low cost carriers, and they're paying through the nose for fares and you spend all day going there. I'm planning a trip to Montana from New York and it takes me all day to get there and all day to get home. Uh, but another manifestation is it's not just rural communities. You mentioned Ohio. Ohio once had four different hubs in four different cities from four different carriers and they lost all four and today they have none. And when a city like St. Louis or Cleveland or Cincinnati or Pittsburgh, looking major cities with major league baseball teams, when they lose a hub, they lose jobs. They lose, they lose corporations pick up and move out. They're not going to have their salespeople taking four flights a day when they could be taking two. Okay, so let and me, so well, let me ask a question. I'm going to do devil's advocate here. If I'm running an airline, don't I have the right to figure out where I can make the most money and, and get the most for every individual seat? Why wouldn't I want to move an airplane from, an, from one city to another if I can make more money in another city? Sure. I, I would say to you that it's not that airline CEOs are dumb or they don't know how to make good decisions. But unfortunately, the decisions they make are good for them and their shareholders and not for the rest of us. And that's the real crux of it. This is a utility as far as we're concerned, and it needs to be regulated like a utility. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, if you're the CEO of American, then we knew when they acquired TWA that they were going to close the St. Louis hub, right? Everybody knew they weren't going to have hubs in Chicago, St. Louis, and Dallas, right in a row, a couple hundred miles apart. It's a decision that made sense to them. It didn't make any sense to the city of St. Louis. And they're still suffering 20 years later from losing that hub. Now, the thing is, we're on the hook anyway. I had someone say to me the other day, what do you want to do, socialize the industry? And I said, well, I guess you missed you know, the news for the last couple of years. It's already been socialized. We, the taxpayers, bail it out whenever it needs bailing out, as we did most recently during COVID for $54 billion. We're saying this needs to be run for the greater good. And, you know, the regulated era from 1938 to 1978, it gets beat up a lot. And I'll be honest, even, you know, even though when I, I started working in the airlines in 85, I was just always told, oh, you never want to go back to that. It was a mess. There was a lot more sense to how routes were served. In other words, if there was, you know, a sizable population, then there was, you know, there was enough service um, to, to meet their needs. And there was a lot more sense in pricing. Imagine that. Imagine not having 7 billion airfares loaded into uh, reservation systems. Imagine pricing that's based, for the most part, on a network model on cost. We haven't seen that in 45 years. If somebody can explain pricing to the average, uh, you know, passenger, I'm sure they'd love to hear it. But right now, it's, you know, I mean, you know, as well as I do, the person next to you could have paid $100 more. The person on the other side could have paid $75 less. And that's the problem that's been with us for quite some time. Uh, you know, and, and on any one given seat, you could have 34 separate fares. But then again, I got to be devil's advocate. Why wouldn't the airlines want to do dynamic pricing? Why wouldn't the airlines want to maximize the revenue they can get from any one seat based on supply and demand? See, I don't have an issue with that, Bill, as much as I have an issue with just basic passenger rights of being able to go from one airline to another, one airport to another, uh, and have you know, my bags actually arrive. Right. 
Right. Well, I mean, look, this is a, a paper that tackles a lot of issues. And uh, as you said, we have, I would, I would say roughly in three parts, we address the direct issue of regulation of uh, not civil aeronautics board type of regulation uh, like we saw prior to 1978, but what we think is some sensible uh, decisions to be made in terms of um, limiting domination at hub airports and looking at pricing in certain markets. But we also look at um, consumer issues. We look at safety issues. So this is an industry that really has lost its way. I and you. I would say, I would, argue, I would argue that a lot of it goes back to deregulation. We would, there was no incentive in the regulated years to cut corners on maintenance, for example. The things that you and I have talked about, sending aircraft out, you know, for outsourcing to El Salvador for repairs. There was no incentive prior to that. Now it's a mad race to the bottom on cost. My thanks to Bill. All right, let's face it. The Federal Aviation Administration is having just a few problems, and the current investigation of Boeing is just the beginning. Aviation consultant Mike Boyd has a report. Mr. Boyd, welcome back. Thank you very much. Honored to be here. So we have so many things to talk about. We can start and finish with the FAA, if you'd like, because, because it's a story that I've been on, as you so well know, for about 30 years. And it's a story that continues to not be solved. It's a story that the problems are still readily apparent. They haven't gone anywhere. It's the, they're not new problems, uh, whether it deals with air traffic control staffing, whether it deals with inspectors and who they work for in terms of certification and safety. Uh, it, it has to do with maintenance and, and who's doing that inspection. So let's start with that. I mean, here we are in the year 2024. We have air traffic control centers, a number of them, where they're doing mandatory overtime because their staffing thresholds are below the 85% level. I think you and I would both agree that air traffic control is probably one of the jobs other than maybe brain surgery. You don't want anybody working overtime. Uh, no, you don't want to. That's why they have to retire at 57. That is a grind. That job is a grind every day. But this has been wonderfully bipartisan for the past 30 years. You know, uh, t- take a look at the last FAA administrator position. They, they, they first nominated a guy that had no business being there, but he was politically correct. Then the next guy they finally did nominate, great guy, has a background, but he said nothing in three months of what he's going to do. He's just a sitter. And we can't do that anymore because now lives are at risk, especially now when the FAA came out and said they're going to lower their hiring standards and literally go after people with psychiatric problems for the FAA. <laughs> Well, wait a minute. Does that mean they don't have them already? They do, but apparently they're going to have ones that can be clinically proven to be that way. Whoops. Well, without making too much fun of this, because it's not a funny subject, you know, for the FAA to say they're going to convene a panel to discuss, you know, uh, mental states of pilots or mental health issues for pilots, that's nothing new there either. For them to convene a panel on what they're going to do to audit uh, safety inspections and the production line at Boeing is nothing new. You don't need a committee for this. You need to go down. No, 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 look. You need a bulldozer to go into that FAA office and take it down. Just bulldoze it out of existence and bring in people that really want to do the job, you know, at the top and give the people some guidance at the FAA. Remember, it's a political appointee at the top and it's been political appointees for years. So, no, we're not as safe as we can be, but what we really need is to stand up and say, let's get this fixed and stop playing with it. I agree. Um, You know, there's certain things that drive me a little nuts about the protocols at the FAA. For example, if the NTSB makes an urgent safety recommendation 
And by the way, I think you and I would both agree that the NTSB does great work under usually terrible and adverse conditions to try to find the probable cause of an accident. But they don't do they don't do that. They don't just do that. Once they find the probable cause, if they can, they figure out what the solution is and make those recommendations. Well, under the way the FAA works, the NTSB is not a regulatory agency. So they make a recommendation to the FAA on something that's an obvious fix to make it better, and the FAA has up to 90 days to respond. And then on the 89th day, what does the FAA often do? Not always, but often, they say they're going to study it. Well, that constitutes an acceptable response, but it's not solving anything. See, that's just it. And, And again, look, the airlines are partially responsible for this. They know this is going on. But you, you keep listen. The airlines today—they work for Buttigieg. They work for the FAA, not the other way around. And and because of that, what that means is they really can't take a shot at them. In all fairness, they can't. But I think it's about time they stood up and said, "Guys, it isn't working." Now, Nick Calio at A4A—he's uh, a great guy. He has stood up and said, "We got to fix it, fix it, fix it." But what we have to have now is the airline industry itself stand up and say, "Mr. Buttigieg, not good." We're unsafe. You've got to fix it and say it just that way. Well, or Congress has to say it because they control the purse strings to give the FAA the resources, the budget, the staff that they actually need. Absolutely. And there's way too much politics involved in this and way too much acceptance of mediocrity. And it still goes on. I mean, the, the, the recent FAA announcement that they're going to go after people that really aren't qualified for the job in order to be diverse or whatever it is. That's putting us all at risk, and that has to stop. All right, let's go beyond that now because, you know, this is we're dealing right now with, you know, more than 170 planes, the Boeing 737 MAX-9, that have been grounded. Uh, but I would argue, and I'm not saying this with, uh, with any sort of uh, hesitance, I, I would argue that they have to look at the assembly line of all the, the manufacturers, not just for this particular product type, especially when we live in a world where so many manufacturers are outsourcing so much of the work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, airplanes are outsourced. It's a bit about, well, you know, some of those parts come from overseas. Well, of course they do. We live in that world right now. But the point is this, and, I, and I, I've talked to people about it. We had some doors or whatever, bolts that weren't, weren't tightened. That's not the problem. The problem is why weren't they tightened? What else isn't being tightened? And that's where we have to really dig into it. Now, the point is, this is in, in the U.S., it's 144 airplanes out of a fleet of about 6,200. Oh, that's not a lot. That's not a lot. But the fact of the matter is 30% of Alaska's fleet, and it's on the ground. What's that going to do to Alaska? What's that going to do to Kalispell, Montana, who might not have air service? It goes through this and through this and through this. But the fact is, we had Boeing that has repeatedly been shown not to screw airplanes together properly, so we stop everything and say, what is wrong with Boeing? That has to be done right now. Oh, and it, and it is being done right now. Uh, we, 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 but we have to continue the, the surveillance and the, and, the, and the, well, we have to continue the focus because the focus, it, it can get easily diffused if we don't realize where the root problems are. And this is something that affects everybody. You and I would both agree, Mike, that, We've just celebrated the 30 safest years of commercial aviation since commercial aviation began, and that's something we should all celebrate. No doubt about it, not arguable. It's great. Uh, 
Now, we may not be able to improve on that batting average because it's so good, but the real question is, can we maintain that batting average? And my argument is right now, based on the protocols and the safety culture at the FAA, not to mention the manufacturers, the answer is no. Well, well, it it is, and it gets back to everything else. You know, there are various layers, if you will. So when the FAA fails to warn an airplane by hitting another airplane, bingo, we have crews that are trained to do that. You know, the, the Japan Airlines thing we saw is typical, where you have an airplane on fire and they get everybody off the airplane because we had a safety crew. We can't keep relying on that. We have to be able to be in a position where we can trust the FAA not to make these mistakes. But the fact of the matter is, and it has to get back, this new guy, Mike, whatever his name is, running the FAA, I've seen nothing from him about what he's going to do. He's just warming a chair and letting it run him. And it's putting us at risk. And by the way, I, I will make this an open invitation to Mr. Whitaker, that's his name, the new FAA administrator, that he's more than welcome to come and talk, talk to us on this show and tell us what he's going to do. I'd love to hear it. And, and uh, we make that invitation every single week. So, and that's, that's a fair, kind, and open invitation to start a conversation that needs to happen. And so, well, the problem, though, with, that, the problem with your invitation is he knows you're going to ask him hard questions. You're not going to sit there like a Diane Sawyer or somebody and smile at him with everything he says. If he says something, you're going to ask him, what do you mean by that? He ain't showing up, Peter. <laughs> well, the invitation's still there. And by the way, Diane Sawyer's asked some pretty tough questions. Don't, don't kid yourself. But in any case, oh. well, that's another discussion. But in any yeah. case, um, we now have uh, a situation where airline schedules have to be triaged. Uh, flights get canceled or combined. There are not enough replacement planes as substitutes to take up all those frequencies. And, you know, the, the good news is it's happening now, at least, as opposed to summer, but they got to fix that too. Again, scheduling and the, the problem we have now, we've seen it in the last two weeks, when you've got the kind of weather, cold weather we've seen, you can't prepare for that completely. But the real issue is, too often, I've covered this before, Customer service at an airline today is more and more farmed out to people who know in two years I won't have a job because I'm with a contractor. People aren't trained to handle customers properly. That's where the core of it is. If I know I won't get out for six hours and they tell me that, I know that. But if they say we're not sure, and that's where we're at right now. And it's even you know big airlines like it, but but some of these discounters, which I hate that word, you know they're hiring people literally off the street at whatever little they can pay them, and they aren't even trained. That's where we have a problem, and, and that's why people get nuts saying, I, I don't know when I'm going to be able to leave Omaha. So I think that's in the airline's court right now. But what you point out is the airlines are not looking at it the way we used to fly. They're not being competitive. Uh, they're not being competitive on service, uh, and they're certainly not being competitive on transparency. And so as a result, uh, I haven't been on a flight in the last... I'm not making this up, in the last five months, that's either left on time or arrived on time. Yeah, I see. The, the, the real issue is, and again, let me be a little clear here. The big thing is whether it arrives on time. Who cares if it arrives, leaves early or leaves late, as long as you get there on what they promise you. But the point of the matter is, it's not the, just those failures. It's what do they do when it happens? Do they have the expertise to be able to handle you? See, I maintain when you have a meltdown like we've had over the last two weeks with weather, 
they should be prepared for that. Yeah. Not just say, well, we, we, got, we got overwhelmed. You're in an overwhelming business. What's wrong with you people? But the point of the matter is, how are we going to save some money on customer service? How are we going to save some money here? You know, again, when I was a ramp agent at American Airlines back in the dark ages of the 70s, I mean, you always said hello to the customer and used his name or you got nailed. You always said thank you to the customer. You were trained properly to write a ticket and, and rebook people. That's not the case today. No, in fact, the other day I was flying out of uh, New Orleans and uh, I walked up to the counter and, and was going to check my bag and they said, oh no, you can only do it at the kiosk. I said, then what do you do here? He said, I only handle kiosk problems. And I said, <laughs> and I said, well, did it ever dawn on you that the kiosk is the problem? He said, everything you want can be done at the kiosk. I said, no, it can't. He said, let me walk you over there and show you. I said, I can't wait to do this. He walked me over to show me. And about two minutes later, he said, uh, you should come to the counter. <laughs> so the point is that, and, and then I said to him, you realize, of course, that every time they add a kiosk, that's five minutes closer to you losing your job. And then I have nobody well, to yeah. talk to. Well, you know, I've, I've never had a kiosk treat me rudely, but I've never had one able to answer my question. So it works both ways. You know, but I understand the kiosk issue. I really do. I, you know, if you can get it, you have to have somebody behind that who knows what the devil they're doing. And again, it, it's like they hire people off the street. They work for Fred's ground handling services and everybody, but it's out there. It happens, particularly in discount carriers. And when something goes wrong, it really goes wrong because they're not trained properly. And they know who cares if you fly this airline again? I work for a company in two years they're going to rebid this contract and i'm out out of a job yep and and there's nobody there who's empowered to give you a yes they're only they only can tell you no we when we did customer service training we did it for a lot of airlines uh the whole idea we have to have discretion and the ability to take initiative that's gone now you can't waive a rule you can't waive anything. It has to be approved. It's like the president of Delta. This is a long time ago. Said no waivers and no favors. Well, that's really customer service. Uh, years ago, I had a, a VP at American Airlines, gone now, thank God, who looked me in the eye and said, we don't care. Customers will do business our way. You can't have that anymore. You've got to be able to, to treat people like they're human beings rather than you know cattle at the Gainesville Cattle Barn in Texas. We're talking to Mike Boyd of the Boyd Group International out there in Evergreen, Colorado. So as a passenger, Mike, what's the first thing you change? The first thing you change is you make sure the people that are getting you on that airplane are they're able to take care of things if something goes wrong, that every question can possibly be answered, number one. Number two, a lot of this boarding stuff they go through is absolutely nonsense because it makes it hard to get on an airplane. Uh, I'll be honest. I mean, Delta has a system now, I think it's called flight family communication or something like that, that literally makes it much easier for the whole operation to get people on and off an airplane. Good for Delta. We need more of that where everybody communicates. We're here for the customer. And that means getting the airplane out on time. I mean, Delta is doing that. Other airlines are starting to, but it has to be something where the customer does not feel like I said, a cat cattle at a cattle barn. And too often they're at, they're always at a disadvantage. We got to take that away. Let the customer feel like they're in charge. Well, anytime I get to a gate 
and they have 11 different boarding groups, I get out a book and start reading it. Well, you know, and you see, that's the problem. You know, I, we did a lot of work for Royal Air Maroc. I had to fly them a lot. You know, and their boarding system is simple. It's get on. <laughs> it worked fine. You know, it's like, in, in several languages, get on, but nevertheless, get on. But a lot of this stuff, it's like 14 layers of people trying to, uh, trying to get on an airplane. It's all about overhead space. You know, that's what it's all about. And United did away with it because I talked to Scott Kirby, but up until about five years ago, it really was five lanes of people would line up an hour ahead of time. Now, United's improved that, but it really looked like a cattle barn with people snaking down the hallway, waiting to get their overhead space and hope, hope they could get on to get it. Well, you know what? You've given one bad airline, whatever that bad airline is, a good idea now, Mike. I'm, I'm a little worried about you now because you said there were no rude kiosks. That's, that's probably coming next. <laughs> You're right. One that talks back to you. You were on to something. So, like, we, we ain't got no complaint department, idiot. One of them will say that to you. That's not a thing. Yeah. You know, the human experience. My thanks to Mike, to Governor Jared Polis, and to Bill McGee. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you know what to do. Just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com/survey. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.